A reading from the book of Daniel. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whom hand, in whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and he commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, 
for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Thanks, Leslie, for reading half of the Old Testament. We appreciate that. That's uh, good. Now, good to see you this morning as we continue in Daniel. If you're a guest with us, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, to start out this morning, if I ask you today, and this is for all of us, and, and, and literally, all of our sermons are for all of us, meaning if you're a student in here, this is just as much for you as it is for me or it is for anybody else, um, God's word as he speaks to us. But let me ask this question. If, if I were to ask you today, where are you placing your faith and trust? Most of us would probably give the perfect Sunday school answer, right? Which is Jesus. Jesus is always the answer, right? In kids' church. And that would probably be true for your salvation, but what about your actual Day to day. Seriously. You see, if we're being honest, myself included, we have a tendency to functionally place our faith and trust in a lot of things. Whether that's our career, whether that's a relationship, whether that's family, whether that's our abilities, just to name a few. So how do we know? How do we know we're replacing this ultimate faith and trust? Here's a question that I think is good to ask. What do you have the biggest fear of losing? Many times that's where we find this honest answer. You see, every single one of us, we have this overwhelming desire to place our faith and our trust in something that won't crush us, that won't disappoint us, that won't let us down, that will actually fulfill our greatest desires. We all want to have faith in something. We were made to have faith in something. That's not a bad thing. A few weeks ago, Aaron Pinnell had our study group, our men's morning study group, over to his backyard. He fed, fed us his award-winning chili. Um, I don't know how many times he's won this award, but just a chili cook-off in the future. Make good chilies. Let's beat him. Um, we were having this conversation around the fire pit. Several topics of conversation came up, but one of them was really interesting. We were talking about the Charleston Bridge system. And if you get scared to ride on bridges in general, maybe plug your ears for this. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in 2018, and I believe again in 2020, the Wando Bridge um, cable snapped, right? An encouraging thing, right? Especially if you're stuck in traffic on the bridge. So we were talking about this, and it actually reminded me of this story that I read as I was doing some historical context for a lesson years and years ago. Now, in Daniel, we're in the Babylonian time period, but a few kingdoms later, we get to Rome, and it was a regular Roman practice that they would have the architects that would build bridges after they accomplished and finished this project, what would they have them do? They would have them actually stand under the bridge as the first load of weight was applied, right? Good quality control here to see if they actually trusted in what they had built or whether it would fall in and crush them. Could it carry the weight? Let me just ask this again. I mean this in a real way, not some like weird platitude way. Let me just ask this. Legitimately think about it today. Have an open heart to it. What are you functionally, day in and day out, placing your faith in or tempted to? What are you day in and day out 
tempted to functionally place your trust in. Here's the question. Will it actually hold up? Will it actually hold up? Today, as we continue in our journey through the book of Daniel, Faith in a Faithless World, we get a glimpse of this tension between competing kings and kingdoms, and we also get a clear call to faith and trust. That's absolutely applicable, as is all of Scripture, to our very lives. So let me pray for us, then we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray you'd meet us where we are. I pray you'd meet us in our doubts. I pray you meet us in the places of our heart that we uh, know there's a tension where we tend to go a little bit sideways, where we tend to make certain things the thing. God, would you just allow us to have humble hearts this morning? Would you allow us to have open hearts this morning? Would you take away distractions? Would you allow us to ultimately just hear from you? Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let me give a quick recap of where we are if today's the first day you're joining us in the book of Daniel, which is exciting. God hands over Jerusalem to Babylon, and the people are in exile. And some people are brought to the kingdom of Babylon, to the palace. Daniel's one of those, along with three of his friends. And when they arrive, they're told that they're going to be fed the king's food and they're going to be fed the king's wine. But Daniel and his friends, they don't want to defile themselves as they're God's people. And so they make a request that they only be fed vegetables and water. This is a concern for the person overseeing this. They're like, you're going to look horrible at the end of this. And he says, no, please just test us and see at the end of this time. Uh, we're trusting in God with this. And so would you allow us just to eat these vegetables and water? They do. At the end of this, Daniel and his friends look amazing, right? And so everybody else gets put on a diet of vegetable and water. Some of you would be excited about that. Not me, but that's what happens. It also says that God gives Daniel specifically the ability of visions and dreams, which comes in very handy because last week, Pastor Paul unpacked this passage where Nebuchadnezzar awakes fearfully in the night. He has this dream and he needs it interpreted. And he brings his magicians and he brings his enchanters and he brings his sorcerers to him. And he says, who can tell me first what I dreamed? Because I don't trust you unless you can tell me what I dreamed. And then who can interpret it? And they keep saying, nobody can do this. Just tell us what you dreamed and we'll give you an interpretation. He says, you're just buying time. I don't trust you. He gets so infuriated that he sends out one of his servants, Arioch, to destroy all of the magicians, all of the enchanters, all of them. But as he goes to do that, Daniel finds him, and he says, take me to the king. By faith, this 18-year-old who's living in exile in a foreign land raises his hand. He says, God will give me the ability to interpret this dream. And so Arioch brings Daniel to the king, and that's where we pick up. Here's what it says. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery, of the, uh, mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and who has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, 
This mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than any other living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Immediately see a contrast here. So here's, here's the situation. I just said this. Daniel finds Arioch, but when Arioch brings Daniel in, he wants to take credit and he says, I found Daniel. He can interpret this dream, right? Arioch cared about credit. Why did he care about that? And we like credit. It feels good. We like to get credit, but it can be very revealing of our motives. Arioch thought this would get him ahead as he was continuing to build his mini kingdom of self. Where Arioch shows us that he wants credit, Daniel shows us quite the opposite. And this all comes down to two words. You're going to hear him throughout this morning. Trust and faith. Faith and trust. The reality that trust is born where faith has taken root. Trust is born where faith has taken root. Hear this. Daniel is risking everything here. The tension could not be higher. If the king doesn't like what Daniel has to say, that's it for Daniel. If Daniel's not completely truthful, absolutely correct, that is it for Daniel. So how is Daniel able to take this step of faith and trust? Here's how. He knows and acknowledges that this is not about him. He's honest that no one, including himself, has some magical interpreting ability And he's humble in sharing who does. He says, I can't help you. I, on my own, can't help you. They can't help you over here. But I know one who can. I know the God in heaven who has this power and ability. Not a God, the God. Sinclair Ferguson says something great here. He says, this is the spirit of Jesus before the high priests and Pilate. It's the spirit of Elijah before Jezebel. It's the spirit of John the Baptist before Herod. Daniel is full of spirit and truth, and even Nebuchadnezzar recognizes it. And here's the dream. Daniel makes it clear, firstly, that only God knows all things. And then he makes it clear that only God can do all things. Check it out. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was fine gold, its chest of arm, and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them that could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's the dream. I was going to have Silas draw this um, statue for you. Right? So you could really see it, but he just wasn't that into it. Um, So you'll have to kind of decipher in your brain what this looks like, but it's a pretty scary figure that we've got going on here, right? Um, It frightened the king, woke him up. And so the dream, what is it really? Here's what it was Nebuchadnezzar saw this dream of a giant statue made up of a person of four parts a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, with feet made of iron mixed with clay. While the king is watching, a rock, literally, not cut by human hands, comes down and strikes the statue on the feet, crumbling it, and then the rest of the statue falls and disintegrates 
and is blown away into the wind. But this small rock becomes a mighty mountain that fills the earth. And now Daniel offers the interpretation what this means. This was the dream. Let me tell you the interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, and into whose hand he was given, whether they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. And the kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, part of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings of God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to any other people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by not by Uh, by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. Its interpretation is sure. What detail? So let's unpack this really briefly. The head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. God is the one who gave him the kingdom, gave him the power, gave him his might, and everything else that goes with it. And the language here is very reminiscent of back in Genesis in, in the land of Eden for Adam. When it says that he gives him dominion over all the animals, over all of creation, that's the language. God has given Nebuchadnezzar a lot. This is a powerful kingdom. And after this king's time ends, other kingdoms more inferior will come after, and the last kingdom will be incredibly strong, as strong as iron. But in the end, it will fall because it's a combination of different people who cannot hold it together. It'll be divided. At that time, here's the beauty. At that time, God will establish his final kingdom. One that will destroy all other kingdoms and stand the test of time. It will start small and it will grow and grow into a kingdom unlike any other. Now here's the deal. We could spend the next 10 minutes talking about what exactly this means. Which kingdoms does this represent? Is this talking about Medo-Persia? And then is it talking about Greece? And then is it talking about... Uh, The kingdom of Rome, which accomplished all of the known world? Maybe. Maybe not. What about the ten toes? We could spend so much time on this, but as one commentary said, we would be completely missing the point. People have written books on all this. Good for them. But we don't want to miss the point here of what God is trying to show us. So what is the point? Here's the first one. God alone gives every earthly kingdom its power. It's the same God that knows the future, has a plan for the future, and will accomplish the future. We see this in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. It says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God. I am like no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times 
things yet, not yet to come, not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That brings us to a great question here. Who is the rock that breaks off and takes out the other kingdoms? The good news, it's none other than King Jesus. The one not created by man. The one sent from God. It's important to note something that the ESV Study Bible makes clear in explaining this. The progression of world history is typically not upward toward glory and unity, but rather downward toward dishonor and disunity. Thus, the statue progresses from gold to silver to bronze to iron and clay. In contrast, God's kingdom grows from humble beginnings to ultimate united glory as one single kingdom that fills the whole earth forever. Look at how the king responds here. It's pretty amazing. King Nebuchadnezzar, this great and powerful king, this one who doesn't bend to anyone, here's what he does. He fell on his face and he pays homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and your Lord king of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler. Check this out. This is wild. He didn't expect this. He's going to get a big pay bump and he's going to get a great new title. He gave him rule over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon, the ones he just saved. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we'll talk about next week over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Not only would this response from a king be unusual, it would be completely unprecedented. He falls on his face and he worships Daniel. Now you might say, whoa, 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 that's not good. (laughs) Daniel's not God. Uh, What exactly is happening here, right? I think uh, Trimper Longman, who writes on this, does a great job of explaining it. Here's what he says. Daniel is honored because of what his God has done, not because of what he has done. Makes total sense. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says this. You may remember these words. You are a light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Daniel and his friends are a bright light shining in a dark place. They are in Babylon. You, you may know this, that God has placed you in different families. He's placed you in different uh, companies, placed you in different schools. He has placed you in different neighborhoods to be what? To be a bright light shining in a dark place. That no matter how dark culture may get, no matter how dark the world may get, that God is calling us as the church to be this bright light that shines truth in a dark place. Paul shared this last week. I'll share it again this week. Many have said this or something like this, but I'll just quote David Jeremiah here. He says, you may not know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. Since the whole world is in God's hand, your world is in God's hand. Now, that's easy to say. It's a lot harder to believe. 
if we want to get real for a minute, we just want to bring this down to ground level, there's a question that we haven't asked yet, and that's this, why? If we believe on some level that this is true, that God is over all, that he's in all, that he has us, if we believe that, why do we functionally fall into being consumed by other things outside of Jesus on a regular basis? This is true for me. I know this is probably true for you too. Why do we place our faith and our trust in other many kingdoms? Here's why I think is one of the main reasons for this. Because we're not sure that he's really that good and he's really in that much of control. We're not really sure. We may know it up here, but we have a hard time believing it down here. Because maybe you've experienced things or you've experienced life and it's gone a little sideways and you haven't understood it all. And so it's made you wonder. It's made you question. It's made you say, God, are you really that good? Are you just good for them or are you also good for me? Are you really that in control? Because if you were, why did you let this happen? And yet we know God has good plans for his kids. But we may ask this question, are you really that good? Are you really that in control? And when we're not sure, we settle and we make idols and we turn to lesser things and make them into greater things. And we even turn to good things and we make them into God things. And when God doesn't give us what we want or what we think we need, we run to another God and we start to build up and invest in another mini kingdom. Here's the big idea today. In a world of competing kings and kingdoms, only King Jesus is worthy of our faith and trust. In your life, in my life, we are being tempted every single day. Students, you're being tempted with this. Adults, you're being tempted with this. To put our ultimate functional faith and trust in a variety of places, falsely believing that they can carry the weight of what our hearts truly long for. Things like acceptance, like love, like care, like security. But what if they can't? What if they can't? The kingdom of career, the kingdom of family, the kingdom of political affiliation, the kingdom of nationalism, the kingdom of power, the kingdom of wealth, the kingdom of ability, the kingdom of status, the kingdom of attention, the kingdom of health, the kingdom of comfort, the kingdom of popularity, the kingdom of self-satisfaction. They cannot carry the weight. They can't. And they will crush us as they crumble. There is only one kingdom that will remain. And this is good news. Kingdoms and political powers will come and go, but the kingdom of God established on the cornerstone, Jesus, will not only remain, but it continues to grow. How? Through you, the church, as you go out, as the good news spreads through you and with you. Through the life, death, and resurrection of this king who would come and serve his people by offering his very life, a new and lasting kingdom is inaugurated. It's a kingdom that doesn't mistreat its people. It's a kingdom that doesn't abuse its power. It's a kingdom that doesn't offer better treatment based on class. It's a kingdom that welcomes the sick, offers healing to the hurting, offers kindness to the broken, offers hope to the hopeless, offers a future to the forgotten, offers freedom to the crooked heart, and life to the left for dead. You will not find this in a political party. Believe you me. You will not find this in a country. You will not find this in any other ideology or belief system. This is the kingdom of the living God. For those who place their faith and trust here, they are met with protection, care, and a place to call home. This King Jesus was crushed so you and I wouldn't be. Literally, this is what happened. We were the architects standing under our own bridge, and the weight of sin was being applied and about to crush us when Jesus stepped in and took our place and was crushed on our behalf. But then he 
rebuilt in and of himself as the foundation, able to withstand anything and everything we could throw at him. And he has now invited us to live under his bridge of grace inside of this kingdom that will never be destroyed, never be shaken, where we can find safety, where we can find a home, where faith and trust leads to freedom and a living and lasting hope. This is the final kingdom. This is the final king. And his name is Jesus. And this is where we can find our greatest hope. I don't care what age you are, believe it now. When you walk out of here today, you're gonna hear something on the radio, you're gonna see something on TV, you're gonna have a conversation with someone that's gonna tempt you to put your allegiance, to put your trust, to put your faith in something else, and God says, I have better for you. I love you more than that. The same God that holds the future of this king and these kingdoms holds your future. Maybe you just need to be encouraged by that today. He holds your future. I need to hear that. Do you need to hear that? He has your today. He has your tomorrow. He has your kids. He has your kids that aren't born yet. He has the future generations in his hand. He's that good. The same God that protected Daniel promises to protect you, his children. The same God who gave the power to this king Gave the king his power and might, promises to use his power and might to care for you and to meet your needs. Even when you feel lost, even when you feel confused. Daniel and his friends are honored in an amazing way. They're given incredible titles, they're given gifts, they're given all of these phenomenal things. And God continues to protect them, but even as they remain faithful, they're going to still face some incredibly difficult times. Putting your faith and trust in God doesn't mean a life void of challenges pain or pressure, but it does mean this. It means being absolutely secure because unlike all the others, this king won't let you down. He knows you. He loves you. He has you. And so we wait in great anticipation of this kingdom coming to full fruition, but we don't wait standing still by placing our faith and trust in this king and in this kingdom it means we orient or we need to reorient our lives around investing first and foremost in this kingdom. That means relationships. That means sacrifice. That means time and energy focused toward the kingdom of God. Living in step with this kingdom and fighting against the temptation to offer our faith and trust and affections to any counterfeit kingdom that comes along. And so the response for today is just this. What do we need to lay down? What do we need to admit? What do we need to confess? Where do we need to say, yeah, I, I've made this the main thing or this has become the main thing and I know that it shouldn't be here. I know that God should be here. I just need to lay this down. Jesus, I just need to confess this. Or yeah, there's a temptation to put so much weight on my kids or family and make them the end all be all. And yet, God, that's not what you want. And I see that or my career or wealth or whatever it may be, just to be honest before God. It's just you and God, this real relational God who wants to meet with his kids, just to be honest, to share the things maybe you've never shared with anybody else, but just to say, would you take this and would you put things back in order? God, my life is your life. I want to live under your kingdom and for your kingdom. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the beautiful thing is he has his arms wide open to you and he invites you into it. He says, come give me your worst, lay it down, confess your sin and I will give you life. You don't have to clean yourself up first, just come to me. All who are weary, all who are broken, 
all who need life, just come to me. In a world of competing kings and kingdoms, hear this church, only King Jesus is worthy of our faith and trust and what a good king he is. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this word. I pray that we'd have open hearts to hear it and respond to it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.